You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Praise God. If you have a Bible, you can open it to uh, Psalm 34. That'd be an okay place to start. I'll be there in just a moment. Let me give you a little bit of a review. Uh, We have been talking about living in an internal state of peace, an internal heart condition of peace. And one of the core texts for this whole series is uh, John 14, 27. This is the words of Jesus, the head of the church, your Savior and mine. These are his words. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And so we figured out real quick that indicates that, number one, it's a choice. We choose whether or not our heart is troubled, whether or not we allow fear into the inside of us. It's a choice. But we also recognize that's probably not the automatic reaction of our flesh. When things come along and unsettle our world, our flesh is tempted, just like any other temptation, Tempted to get worked up, tempted to get unrest, tempted to be fearful. And he's telling us ahead of time, don't do it. Don't allow yourself to get worked up. Don't allow yourself to get into fear. He says, don't do that. So we choose to remain in peace. We also saw, I believe last week, we choose to be thankful to be thankful for the things that He's already done for us, the things that He is doing. And I will say, and say many times, be thankful for things He's not even done yet. What? Because I know Him. And He still has more things up His sleeve, more things He wants to do, and I'm already thankful. Because everything He does for us is good and wonderful. And so we live with an attitude of gratitude. We choose to be grateful. We don't take for granted the things that He has done for us the things that he is doing for us. And I I think I said this, and I'm quoting a Joyce Meyer book title, I believe, but we enjoy where we are on the way to where we're going. Just because we're going somewhere doesn't mean we don't take gratitude in where we're at and where we've come from. Amen. So this morning I want to add one more layer to this, and I want to go to Psalm 34, and we'll start reading in verse 1. I believe this is David who wrote this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So question, um, how often should we bless the Lord? This is not a trick question. The answer is right there. At all times. His praise shall be in my mouth. How often? They say continually. That's that's all the time. Does he say we should bless the Lord and praise Him as long as things are going good, as long as there's no storms on the horizon, as long as everything is lollipops and rainbows, and we're just going to praise God for all the wonderful things? He says no. Even when things are challenging, even when problems have risen their ugly head in our life. Even when we're faced with ugly things, challenges of the enemy or just difficulties of living in a fallen world, doesn't matter what's going on, even in those times, 
Um, I'm going to bless the Lord, and I'm going to praise Him continually with the words of my mouth. Now, I'll probably say this again. This is not because of the hard times. I'm not thanking God that there's problems in my life. I'm not saying that. But even when problems are facing me, I'm going to choose to bless my God. And I'm going to choose to magnify Him, not because of the problems, many times in spite of the problems. No matter what the enemy might be trying to work in my life, I'm going to praise God all through those situations. Look at the next verse. He says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Again, how often should we be doing that? All the time. But I want to look at verse 2. I've got a confession to make. There was a time I struggled with this verse a little bit, and I'll give you my background as to why. But in verse 2, he says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Now, you got got to understand a little bit about me. Um, when I went to Bible school, I took a class while I was there. This is an understatement that was eye-opening for me, <laughs> that I got a lot of revelation out of that class. Now, that's kind of a silly thing because I took all kinds of classes like that. But there was one that just marked me that it was a message that I knew on one hand wasn't super popular, but I knew it was true. You ever hear those messages where you, you, and a lot of you let me know by saying, Pastor, you stepped on my toes this morning. Well, what's that mean? That's a truth that I know hurts right now, but I know it's good for me. And I was in a class that was like that from beginning to end. I am not making it up. There was one time in that class where I don't know if this was planned or if he went off script, so to speak. But I'm just sitting there. He wasn't necessarily directed at me. He kind of got off on the women in the room. I'm just being honest. And I'm, and I'm not going to repeat anything he said. But I'm just sitting there. Um, about a third of the class was saying Amen. Um, I was in that second third of the class that I just kind of wanted to crawl under my chair. I, I felt safer under there. And there was another third of the class that as soon as that bell rang, they were gone. They were not happy. They didn't like what he had to say, and they were out the door. It was one of those classes. All right. In that class um, is when he taught on pride and humility. For several weeks out of that class, he taught about pride and humility. And it was one of those topics that you just have to recognize, yeah, we all have pride. It, it's in the nature of the flesh. And we need to be getting rid of it. But it's not an easy thing. How many of you have ever figured out that even when you identify pride in yourself and you deal with it and you squish it and you're like, no, I will not have that in me. If you turn your back on that, say, six months, a year from now, and you didn't stay on top of it, it comes right back up. It's like a weed. They just keep coming right back. It, and so I, that's one of the reasons I say identifying pride in yourself and staying on top of it is something we will do for as long as we're still in this flesh. You have to stay on top of it. It's not a battle you win and walk away. It's something you occupy and you stay on top of. And you stay aware of. So it's just, it, it became a lifelong topic for me, not so much to throw at you. It's something I keep on me. And I'm not saying I've arrived. I've had great moments of victory, and I've had times where it just comes right back. 
just like probably you've experienced. So it's just, but it's something I've become very aware of and I try to stay on top of. So my gut reaction when I see this verse, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. My first reaction is no, boasting's bad. We don't boast. That is not something a Christian does. We don't brag about anything because that's, that's an offshoot of pride. Someone that brags all the time. And so that was my instinct. But let's be honest, we then have to ask ourselves, am I saying David got it wrong? Am I saying the Bible's wrong? I got to come to grips with this. And I went down this path. I'm letting you know. I went down this path of, well, and the bragging's bad, but it says I'm supposed to brag on the Lord. And how do I reconcile that? And so here's kind of where I landed. It is wrong. It is always wrong to brag on me. It is always wrong to brag on you. It is always right to brag on God. Now, why would that be? Because humility is always based in truth. When I brag on something God did, is that true? Always. But if I start bragging on me because of something I did or something I am or something I'm really good at and I'm taking all the credit and I'm patting my back and I'm bragging on me, is that true? And the answer is no. See, I recognize every good thing in me came from Him. Every good quality in me is an offshoot of my Heavenly Father. And everything I'm really good at is only because He gave me the talent to do it or the ability and then helped me to develop and craft that. And anything I'm getting really good at is only because He's been helping me. So who should really get the credit? Not me. The truth is, it's him. And so that's why I say, if I'm bragging on me, yeah, that's not true. It was him. But if I'm bragging on him, now that's true. He is that good. And it was him. And he is worthy of the praise. I am not. Does that make sense? And so David is telling us, yes, boast in the Lord. Brag on him. Why? Because it's true. He is that good. Magnify Him. Exalt His name. Those are all synonymous things that go hand in hand. To boast in the Lord, to magnify His name, to exalt His name, to exalt Him. Those are all similar synonymous. Try not to trip over my words this morning. They're synonymous things. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's a lot of my message. I'm talking about magnifying and exalting and boasting We're going to talk about that this morning. So let's pause for just a moment, and I'll ask the question. This is not a trick question. It's not a word we use a lot. What is a braggart? That would be the noun form of bragging. A person who brags is a braggart. Who has used that word in the last year? I have one hand, and I'm, I'm, I'm impressed I got the hand. There's a man who knows his vocabulary. I'm good with that. I, I don't think I've used it in the last year, all right? But that's what a braggart is. And what does a braggart usually brag about? Themselves. They're bragging about what they have done, about what they can do, about who they are. They're, they're bragging about themselves. What often happens when one braggart comes into contact with another braggart? 
Those are fun conversations, right? When you get two braggarts in the room, what usually happens? Well, one braggart is going to tell a story, and he's going to paint it in a really good light, right? What's the other braggart doing the whole time they're listening to that story? They're reloading because they're going to come out with another story that's going to be slightly better and slightly bigger. It's I think I've heard it called one-upmanship, where no matter what the one story is, they're going to one-up them. Really? Let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you what I did. There's going to be, and and if you let this go on and on, it'll go back and forth. This one-upmanship. What's interesting is they're shifting the spotlight back and forth. Because when you're bragging, you're putting the light on yourself. And then when they want up you, they're shifting that light back onto them. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. And let's bring that back on me. Do you see what's driving this? Are you with me? So hold that thought. Um, I, br- I introduced this word. What's it mean to magnify something? Well, that means to make something larger than it really is. Although I kind of want to point something out. Um, in my younger years, when I would talk about magnify, I would always use the example of a microscope. What does a microscope do? It allows you to take something really, really small and make it bigger. Um, so when you look in there, all of a sudden something you couldn't see with the naked eye, now you can. As I get older, what seems like an equally good example these days is readers. <laughs> Why do I have readers? To make something small look bigger to me so I can read it. It's the same principle. I didn't think about readers when I was a young man. They are very real to me today. (laughs) And so it's the same principle. But in a sense, though, when you look into a microscope or when you put on the readers, are they literally getting bigger, those small things? No, they're not actually changing. The words on the page aren't literally getting bigger, but they're getting bigger to me because I have the readers on or I'm looking in a microscope. So it's not literally getting bigger. It's a matter of perspective. They're getting bigger to me, the wearer of the glasses or the looker of the scope. So perspective changes when something is magnified. When I put on the readers, those words are bigger to me. They're not bigger to anybody else. They've actually not changed, but they're bigger to me. So when we magnify God, he's not literally getting bigger, but he's getting bigger in my eyes. It's about my perspective. When I choose to magnify him, he's getting bigger to me. I'm, I'm making him bigger in my eyes. So it's all about perspective. And I, I don't think I'm going to go this way this morning, but notice it doesn't change him any, but it can help me a lot. You're going to find that with worship. Worship isn't necessarily because he just needs it so bad. It's what it does for us. We need to worship him because of what it does for us. When we magnify him, we're making him bigger in our perspective. And that does something for us. So how would we brag on God? How would you make your boast in the Lord? When you start making bigger all the things he's done, and you start magnifying, you start talking about and reliving all those wonderful things he's done in your life, 
it's good once in a while to look back and see how far you've come in your walk with God. You know, I used to be like this, but look what he's done in my life. And look at these situations I was in where I didn't see a way out, but he knew a way out and he rescued me and he helped me and he has prospered me in so many different ways. All the different things he does for us, things he's done in the past. We talk about things he's doing right now. God is working in my life right now. He's doing this in in this situation, and he's helping me at work, or he's helping my finances, or he's helping my understanding of, of work or my relationship with him. There's so many different ways where he could be working in us right now, and we're magnifying those things. We're bragging on them. And I, I, I've already said it once. I'll keep saying it. And I brag about the things he has yet to do. There's more things he wants to do, things he would like to do in our lives if we stay connected with him and allow him to. Have you ever listened to usually younger kids, and I am thinking boys, and that'll become apparent quickly, um, when they when they brag to other boys? You ever heard kids brag about their dads? You ever heard boys say, well, my dad's big. Yeah, yeah my dad's bigger. My dad can beat up your dad. Oh, yeah? My dad can beat up your dad with one hand tied behind his back. The other guy says, well, my dad can beat up your dad with both hands tied behind his back. Well, my dad can beat up your dad with both hands and one foot tied behind his back. I guess you're just hopping at this point. I don't know. That's going to be fun. Well, my dad can beat up your dad with both hands, both feet, and blindfolded. And it's that one-upmanship thing going on, but it's just kids bragging, right? They're bragging. Can I say this to all of us? Oh, we have a dad, and he's a big dad. And there is no problem the devil can come up with that's too big for my dad. Oh, my dad can handle any problem that the enemy would try to throw at you or me or anything in this world. I got a big dad. Have you met my dad? Actually, I think you have. <laughs> we got a big dad. And he really is that big. He really is that wonderful. He really is that. There's no one who loves the way he loves. There's no one who forgives the way he forgives. There's things that we might struggle to forgive people over that is nothing for him. There's no one who has mercy the way he has mercy. There's no one as good as him. That's our God. That's our Father. That's our dad. So look at this again, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. I'll put the emphasis on the word soul. What, what, all, what are all the different components of your soul? That's your mind, your will, your emotions, your, your feelings, your personality. When you make your boast in the Lord, when you magnify Him, when you praise Him, get your soul involved. Get your feelings involved. Get your emotions into it. Now, I don't want to, I don't know if I should go down that path or not. How many people in their, in their worshiping the Lord is just, at best, no emotion. They're just singing their song. No emotion. Have you ever studied the, the Jewish people? If there's one thing we see of the Jews in, in the Old Testament, in Scripture, they wear their emotions outside. 
when, when, when they praise God, they praise God. They're shouting and they're singing and they're making loud noises and they're dancing in the streets. Remember that incident with King David? Rubbed his wife the wrong way, Michelle, Michal, however you say her name. She was not happy because he was, he was taking robes off. <laughs> he's getting hot, I think. And he's taking, and he's just dancing in the streets. And she's like, that was not dignified. And he's like, <laughs> sweetheart, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing. But what was important to him? I'm going to magnify my God. Who wrote this psalm? He said, I'm going to magnify my God. And he wasn't going to let anything get in the way. So what I, I could also say, likewise, when that same Jewish people mourned, I mean, they're ripping clothes off. They're putting ashes in their hair. I mean, they're mourning, right? But they were expressive. Now, isn't it interesting? How was the people he cut covenant with back there in the beginning, in the early days? It's interesting. Are we led by soul? No. But we likewise, we don't shove it so far into ourselves that it's never. We're not. How oh, dare, dare I say this? I hope I don't lose half the room. We're not Vulcan. <laughs> Okay, some of you got that, some of you didn't. We are not an emotionless people. We don't bury emotions. I'm not led by them, but they are mine to enjoy. And I'm going to enjoy them in Him. Amen? Oh, we better get, where are we at here? We're going to get off on emotions. Okay, so all this to say, magnify the Lord. Make Him bigger in your eyes. Okay. If God wants you to magnify Him, because it'll do good things for you, who would maybe not want you to magnify God? Who would maybe try to stop you from magnifying God? Who would maybe rather shift your perspective a different direction? Again, not a trick question. Um, you do have an enemy of your soul, um, Satan and his kingdom and his earth. He would rather you not magnify God. But... Follow me down this path. Um, what's his ultimate desire? The desire of his heart. Uh, he wants to be God. That if you go back and study in his origin, his history, um, that's part of what made him fall when he says, "I will have my throne above God's. I'm going to be just like him." In fact, he he actually led a revolt. Have you read about this in Scripture? And somehow, a third of the angels of heaven followed him and tried to overthrow heaven? Have you read about this? So he would rather you magnify him. Wasn't that one of the temptations with Jesus? I'll give you all this if you will bow down and worship me. Remember that? He would rather you glorify him and you magnify him, exalt his name, make your boast in the devil. Now, I would dare say with most Christians, and certainly with us, we've not fallen for that. We're not going to go around and say, oh, magnify the devil with me. Isn't the devil so great? Oh, we should just all love the devil. I've never heard any of you say anything like that. We don't do that, right? And I think the devil knows. He's not going to get us to say that blatantly that, that he's all that <laughs> and a bag of chips. No. So then... What's the backwards way? They're not backwards, the back door way. I don't know. What's the other way? What, what did I just say a moment ago? What's one of the ways we magnify God? We glorify and magnify and brag about all of the things God has done. 
So then what if we are talking about glorifying and honoring and expressing all of the things the devil has done? Then we're magnifying him because we are talking about, dare I say, bragging on the things the devil has done. We're magnifying his works. And in some cases, without realizing it, we are magnifying the devil because we're magnifying his work and we're magnifying the things he does. Are you following? So if the devil can get people talking about his work, his works, if he can get us magnifying the problem that he presented in our life, if we can get talking about and magnifying the sickness or disease that he caused in our body, if we can get him magnified, or if we can magnify the financial trouble that we've gotten ourselves into, or the mistakes that have been made, or get us talking about and magnifying the sins that were committed, whether ours or somebody else's, But if we're putting the spotlight on his works, then we are, in effect, magnifying him. Rather than magnifying God, we're magnifying him. Can I tell you this? You'll do one or the other. You'll tend to do one or the other. Rarely do you do both at the same time. You're going to put your attention on one or the other. Now, let's let's put this in Bible terms, and let's make this... Tangible. I want to say let's put skin on it, but what I mean is all this is a little vague. How does this affect me? That's where I want to go with this. So if you are magnifying God and you are magnifying his works and the one who did those works, that would be faith. You are acknowledging what he did and as the source of, the doer of, and your trust in, and his ability to do those kinds of things in your life. That, that's all about faith. All right. The other word that goes hand in hand with that is belief. It's translated both ways in your Bible, often depending on whether it's a noun or a verb. In Greek, it does both. So a lot of times in the noun form, it's faith. Have faith. Have the faith of God. Have faith in God. Many times in the verb form, they use the word belief. Believe in him. Are are you following me? So it's, it's the same type of thing. In a sense, I can say the opposite is true. When you are magnifying the devil and his works, in a sense, you're expressing faith in him. You could Just as you could have faith, trust, believe, confidence in God, you can have the same in the devil. So many times there are many people who have more faith in the devil's ability to do bad things in their life than they have faith in God's ability to do good. But Scripture doesn't often use it in those terms. So many times in Scripture they don't say faith in God and faith in the devil. What the Bible will say is you have faith in God or you have doubt. That is the opposite of faith in God, is doubt. Um, or, in the verb form, unbelief. You have believed, believe in God, or unbelief. That would be the opposite. So in those terms, 
when we magnify God, we are expressing faith in him, our belief in him. When we magnify the devil, we are stepping into doubt and unbelief. And that's how those connect. All right. So think about this. Let's go back to, uh, to the bragging. It's, it's kind of like the kids that are bragging on their dad. You know, my dad can beat up your dad. Some people have that, that same attitude when it comes to problems. Oh, let me tell you what I've been going through. Let me tell you about the problems I've had lately, because I've had this going on and this going on and this going on, and my life has been rough. And sometimes you get the other person at the table saying, that's nothing, let me tell you what I've been through. And all of a sudden you get the same one-upmanship going on, talking about all the bad things that have been happening in their life. They're bragging on whose problems are worse, on whose problems are bigger. Now, that would be in a first person. Let me also talk about a third person. Maybe it's not your own problems you're bragging about. Maybe it's somebody else's. You're still magnifying the same works, whether they're yours or somebody else's. Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, man, they're going through a really bad time, and this bad thing happened, and that bad thing happened. Or a situation more likely in third person, because a lot of people don't do it in the first person. (laughs) Maybe they've committed a sin. See, not a lot of people run around going, oh, I sinned, let me tell you about it. <laughs> no, but maybe if it's somebody else, did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, I got to tell you this story, because they did this, and they did that, and oh my. It's the same effect. You're bragging on something the devil tempted them with, and they gave, and they caved, and they committed that sin, and you're magnifying it. Bragging about sin magnifying sin. Are you following me? Did you hear about so-and-so? My goodness what they did. And the devil is loving it. He'll be sitting there at that table whispering in their ears going, tell it again. Tell it bigger. Don't forget this detail. Oh, he'll help. (laughs) He will inspire you to brag on what he's done. Can I say this? We have no business magnifying the works of the devil. If we are to magnify God, then what should we do about the devil and his works? Minimize. I don't know if this works with readers, but with binoculars, you can flip them backwards and look the wrong direction and make everything look really, really small. I don't know if readers work that way. I've never tried. I don't know if they're over there. I don't have any. That's what we should do. When it's God's works, man, turn those binoculars the forward way and just make them big. When it's the devil's works, flip them things around and minimize what he's been doing. I'm not in denial. I know he's doing stuff. And I know people struggle. And I know there's problems. I'm not denying them. I just don't want to magnify them. I'm going to minimize them. They're there. They're real. And people have to go through these things. We live in a fallen world. But I'm not going to magnify them. I'm not going to make them bigger. All right, I'm going to minimize them. Are you with me? Um, When I magnify God, it makes my faith in him bigger. When I minimize the devil, likewise, it magnifies my faith in God. It minimizes doubt. It minimizes unbelief. Now, an interesting little, little side note. It connects to what we were talking about a little bit ago. A lot of this bragging can be rooted in pride. Have you ever been in a situation where you get those 
two um, problem braggarts at the table. And, you know, one guy says, I've had this problem. The other guy says, that's nothing. Let me tell you about my problems. Okay. Have you ever been in a situation where someone is laying out all their problems and you try to minimize their problem? Maybe from a right place where you recognize we got to get the focus back on God. He's the way out of this problem. Let's, let's magnify him. And so you try to minimize their problem and it offends them. How dare you try to minimize my problem? Or in some cases, how dare you think your problem's bigger than mine? Either, either one of these situations. But there's a root of pride going on. So I say that so that we recognize if you're ever in a situation where you're trying to help someone minimize what the devil's doing in their life and they get angry with you, you know why. You may have to change your tactics a little bit. But recognize, why are they getting angry? You just stepped on a pride nerve. So maybe you got to find a way to come around another way. All right. Now, likewise, we can also turn that table and look in the mirror. If you're ever sharing a story with someone and they start trying to minimize what you're going through and you feel that anger rising up, know what's going on. Say, wait a minute, why is that making me angry? Must be touching on a nerve of pride that, that I hadn't been keeping an eye on or that I hadn't recognized. Know what's going on in yourself. When things do start to make you angry, ask yourself, why does that anger me? And in some of these situations, the answer is often because you were pretty proud about that. And so just recognize what's going on. All right, that'll come back. Okay, where am I at? Why is all this so important? Because the right mindset is how we're going to get through many of these situations. When you do find in your life you come into a tough time, the devil rears his ugly head, problems begin to present themselves, how you handle those problems and your perspective through those problems many times can determine how you come out of them. I'm not saying the problems aren't there. Again, I'm not in denial, but what are you going to magnify? All the way back to where we started in Psalm 1. Even in the bad times, are you going to bless the Lord? Are you going to magnify God? Are you going to make your boast in Him? It's arguably, and I don't know if this is a strong argument, it's even more important you do that in the bad time than in the good. But it's all about perspective. That's a weak argument. He said all times. So at all times. That's how we keep, keep right perspective when we go through that. When I magnify the problem, I'm actually increasing my faith in the one who brought that problem to me. Or to scripturally say, I'm increasing my doubt. But when I magnify God, even in the rough time, I am increasing my faith in the one who can get me out of this problem. The one who is bigger than this problem. The one who was not at all shocked when that problem came along. And the one who already knows the way out. I am increasing my faith in him. Wow, I'm facing that problem. And the more faith I have, it's because the more, the more bigger. That's not good grammar. Don't tell my mom. The more faith we have in God, the bigger he'll look in our eyes. And the bigger he looks in our eyes, the more faith we have in him and the less we are shaken by anything the enemy would throw at us. Does that make sense? So it, it helps us to minimize what the devil's trying to do. Faith 
will look at problems from God's perspective. See, there is nothing the devil could ever do in this earth that's going to catch him off guard, that's going to make him shake and, oh no, now what do I do? At no point is God ever slid to the front of his throne, sitting literally on the edge of his seat going, what do I do now? I didn't think he was going to do that. I didn't know he was capable. Gabriel, what should I do? That's never going to happen. Not once. He's not the least bit concerned. He's not the least bit worried. Now, he knows exactly what he wants to do, and he wants us involved in it, but you're not going to catch him off guard. He is a big God. And I'll say again, he's our father. Are you with me? There is nothing the devil could throw at us that's going to change him and catch him off guard. So he's not the one that needs to change. So again, it's back on us. It's about our perspective. It's about our perspective. Magnify the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Tell of His wonderful works. Exalt His name forever. It has to do with our perspective. Now let me give you two examples and we'll close. My first example this morning is from 1 Samuel 17. I thought it kind of fitting. We just talked about David and the psalm that he wrote. Let's go look at an example of this from his life. Now this is maybe one of the most well-known stories of King David of any story in scripture. It's early in his life. He's 17 years old and there's a giant in the land. I want to talk about David and Goliath for just a moment. Um, if you want to turn there, I'm, I'm about to go to first Samuel 17. So you know this story. I'm, I'm imagining everybody here is familiar. So Goliath was a giant of a man, literally. Um, the most conservative numbers I found any historian use is they put him at about nine feet, nine inches tall. And I'm thinking about that. At nine, nine, he's barely fitting under a basketball hoop. I'm pretty sure at nine, nine, because imagine how big those feet are going to be. All right. If all he does is go to tippy toes, he's hitting his head on the rim. That's kind of how I'm picturing. And that's the most conservative estimate I've found. If we go the other direction, the more, can I say the most liberal or the biggest estimate I've ever seen? Uh, 13 inches, no, 13 inches, 13 feet, 4 inches. I, I did kind of a, a search, and that was the biggest number I found. So pick wherever you're comfortable with. Um, any number in that range is a big dude. All right? This is a big guy. And uh, what does he do for a living? What is his natural skills and abilities? What does he do for a passion? What's his hobby? Uh, he's a warrior. He is a killing machine. That's what he does. He kills people for a living. He's a soldier, all right, for the Philistine army. Um, fighting is everything he's ever done. It's what he's good at. So there's that thought. On the other side, we have David. At this point in his life, he is a teenager. Most historians put him, give or take, around 17 years old. And I will say this. A 17-year-old young man can be a pretty buff dude. A lot of 17-year-olds are well into their manhood body and tend to be, That's for a, for a lot of guys, that's somewhere in the peak years of life. You know, things can be looking good by 17. Let's give him every bit of credit we can if he is in the best shape ever and he is just buff at 17. He's still not Goliath. He is nowhere near 9'9 to 13'4". I'm sure he's of average height. Let's give him six foot. Um, I'm told average is 5'10". I don't know. Let's give him six foot. Okay, so Goliath still got three to six feet on him. Not, 
Okay, yeah, so he's bigger. <laughs> um, the army of Israel was cowering at Goliath. All right, and the army of Israel was a successful army in their day. They were a young army, but they were successful. They'd won battles. They had some mighty men in there. Saul was no slouch. He was actually quite victorious. He'd won many battles. His son Jonathan was no different. They were known. They've got some exploits written in scriptures. They were quite valiant in battle. Saul was quite tall. If you remember, he was head and shoulders over most of the nation of Israel. A lot of historians put him at about seven feet tall, which is a lot for the day, a lot for any average man, but still quite short compared to Goliath. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to not take anything away from Israel. They were, they were fighting people, but they're intimidated. There's fear. I don't know. I'm going to keep going here. I don't know what that was. Um, and here's one thing I want to point out about the armies of Israel. They were magnifying the problem. They were magnifying the giant. You hear it in their, their words. I'm going to go to 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 24. It says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. I'm just going to stop reading there. I, I can almost picture, that's the rumor mill. Word is spreading throughout the ranks. Did you see him? Did you see how big he was? And they're magnifying the problem. And I'm pretty sure it even left and began to filter through all of Israel. Have you seen how big this guy is? But what they're doing is they're magnifying the problem, and he is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in their eyes. And what they didn't realize is their faith and trust in God is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because he's looking bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're cowering. And this went on for 40 days. Um, for 40 days, Goliath would come out every day and say, send somebody out to fight me. Send somebody out to fight me. And there were no takers. There were no takers. I'll point this out real quick. This is not in my message. This is a freebie. Don't let the devil define the terms. Just because Goliath comes out and says, send me a man, doesn't mean you have to send him a man. Why didn't a hundred men just go attack that one guy right off the top day one and get it over with? Don't let the devil define the terms. He will always stack it in his favor. Check your leading on the inside and figure out, no, no, here's what the terms will be. Are you with me? Anyway, that's just thoughts. Um, so while this is going on, what's David doing? I mean, before he figures out who Goliath is, what's David doing? He's out in the pasture with the sheep. The picture painted, and most historians do tend to agree, that he was by himself. He had a, a flock of sheep, and he was leading them around, caring for them, feeding them, taking them into pasture, you know, getting them fat and everything, getting the wool all fluffy, doing the things that shepherds do by himself. So, What's he doing all day long? He's just fellowshipping with God. That's the only person with him. Now, my personal conviction is I'm not going to say I don't know this for a fact, but I do know that David was a very musical person. 
I do know that he was one of the single biggest authors and donators to the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms in your Bible, I believe, and every one of them are songs. I am thinking that. Is it Psalm 119? That's a long song. But anyway, they're all songs, and so I'm kind of picturing what's he probably doing out there with the sheep? He's probably singing songs. He's probably just worshiping the Lord. He played harp, you know, the modern-day guitar. So he's a guitar player, and he's out there singing songs, and he's worshiping. What's that doing for uh, his faith in God? Oh, he's magnifying the Lord all the time. He grew up magnifying the Lord, and his faith in God is getting big. So eventually, Dad sends him to the front, take food to the brothers. He has brothers in the military, brothers in the army. And you kind of remember how this story goes. I'm going to jump into verse 26. Um, Verse 26, David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this 13-foot-tall killing machine? Is that what he said? Where is it? I'm looking on the screen. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine. If you read this whole passage, I'm not going to take time to do it this morning. Not one time did David even call him a giant. Every time he called him a Philistine, because he was, I think more than once, but I know in this verse, he said he's an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, while I do tend to believe, when I imagine this in my mind, I put a derogatory tone in David. I don't know for a fact, but it, I kind of hear him saying, who is this, almost with a snarl, uncircumcised Philistine? The, almost a degrading tone. I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> All right. That's kind of the way I'm hearing it. But even so, why uncircumcised? Because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. What did every Jew do when they walked in the covenant of Abraham, the covenant with God? They were circumcised. It was the sign of the covenant. By pointing out to everybody, uncircumcised Philistine, what he's saying is, he has no covenant with my God. That's covenant term. He's like, I have covenant with God. Who is this Philistine with no covenant? Are you with me? That's how he viewed the problem, is he pointed back to the covenant. Are you with me? Okay, now I'm going to connect now another dot that I did a minute ago. I'm going to show you an example. Verse 28. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. Why did that anger him, stepped on his pride. His oldest brother was one of the soldiers who's been cowering in fear for the last 40 days. And when his little pipsqueak brother shows up and starts minimizing the problem that he was afraid of for the last almost month and a half, stepped on his pride. That's why he got angry. You see that? How dare you come in here without attitude, you little pipsqueak. You need to get back to the field and go watch your little sheep get back to babysitting while we do man work. 
That's what's going on. Brothers are fun. He said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. That's also typical. It's not really in my message today. But it, it's, it's a form of projecting. My pride's offended. So what I'm going to do is point out your pride. How many times have you ever tried to, dare I say, point somebody's fault out and they turn around and put it right back on you? That's what's going on. That's what's going on. <laughs> David's like, what have I done? <laughs> what did I do? Is there not a cause? So then he just ignored his brother, turned, walked away, and I turned from him, went toward another, and asked the same thing. And these people answered, same as the first ones. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they were reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And so David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. But I'll just point out, not one time did he ever magnify the problem. Never even called him a giant. He spent the entire time magnifying his God who he was in covenant with. How are we going to fight our way through or conquer or overcome anything the enemy would throw our way? We do the same thing. I'm not saying Goliath isn't standing in front of us. What I am saying is he has no covenant with my God and my God is bigger. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Are you with me? That's how you overcome anything the enemy is going to throw at you. In all things, you magnify God. Are you with me? Never allow any situation the enemy would throw at you to get bigger in your eyes than your God. One last example, and we'll close. I don't know where I'm at in time, but uh, let me give you one more. Let's go quickly. I won't read all of it, but go back in your mind. Moses led those Jews out of Egypt, came across the desert. He got them all the way finally. It took him a long time to get there, but he got them to the edge of the promised land. This is the land that God has said from day one, I'm taking you to the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. Are you with me? They're now on the edge of it, so they send in 12 spies to go scope out the land. And then the 12 spies come back and give report. Here's what we saw in this land that God's taken us to. Ten of the spies came back magnifying the problem. Are you with me? Numbers 13, verse 32 And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. And here's what they said. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. They not only magnified the problem, they minimized themselves. And they kind of left God out of it altogether. Are you seeing that? And long story short, by magnifying the problem and not magnifying God, they moved deeper and deeper into unbelief. And it cost them. They did not go in. That was the last straw. And that's when 
God said enough. You're not going in. You can die in the wilderness, which is what they've been saying they were going to do for the last month or two. If you go to Hebrews, I think it's in chapter 3, he says they did not enter in because of their unbelief. Why? They spent all their time magnifying every problem they came to from the time they, they were magnifying problems while they were in Egypt. But even after God brought them out, every time anything troublesome came along, they magnified the problem. We're all going to die. We have nothing to drink. We're all going to die. We got nothing to eat. God brought us out here just to let us die. They've been saying that ever since they left. But every time they saw a problem, they magnified it. And they reached a point where God said, enough. You can die out here. You will not come into my promised land. Are you following me? But I don't want to leave us on that note. There were two spies who knew their God. You remember them. They were Caleb and Joshua. Uh, Jump down to Numbers 14, verse 6. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, and they tore their clothes. Remember I told you, these were an emotional people. And when these two heard the bad report of the ten, man, they started ripping their, their shirt off. I don't know what they're ripping off, but they're ripping their clothes. They're like, no! I, I could go all kinds of directions with that. But that's what they were doing. Verse 7, And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, which I will pause to say, from the time he showed up with Moses in Egypt, he was saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan for you. I'm taking you to the promised land. So this really wasn't even an if. But he was putting the emphasis on the factor here is not the problem. The deciding factor is our God. He said, if the Lord delights in us, and he does, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Everything we've been talking about, all wrapped up in there. What are they doing? Magnify God. I don't care what the problem looks like. They're nothing for our God. Their protection's gone for them. They're bread. What would we say? (laughs) Piece of cake. Why? God's got this. And as long as he delights in us, (laughs) we're overcoming. We're going into the promised land. Whether Whether we go through this problem, around this problem, over this problem, we blow up this problem, doesn't matter. We're coming out the other side victorious. Why? Because our God is that big. Are you with me? So no matter what challenge we face in this life, magnify God. Make him bigger in your eyes. Minimize the problem. Again, I'm not in denial of the problem. I'm not saying that. This is not word games. But what is this? Magnify the one that has the way for you to overcome. Make him bigger in your eyes. Magnify the Lord. Magnify the word. Magnify his name. Exalt the Lord. Make your boast in him. Talk about all the wonderful things he has already done for you. All the things he's doing right now. And then go another step further and magnify the things that he is about to do in your life. Amen? Amen. Stand to you.